0: verse 1 through uh, verse 19. John chapter 13, verse 1 through verse 19. As we are making our way through this series, we called it Behold the Lamb of God, a series in the book of John. So John chapter 13 is where we find ourselves today in verse 1 down to verse 19. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, Which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he ariseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not, save to wash his feet. But is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, You are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then be your Lord and master, uh, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. And our Heavenly Father, we ask that as we uh, have read the scriptures, that you would, uh, by the work and help of the Holy Spirit, make application of these uh, great and eternal truths to every one of our hearts today. And we pray. For every Christian here, Lord, that you'd help us to recognize that if we know these things, we're really going to be uh, uh, unable to be happy until we do these things. And so, Father, we pray that you'd uh, teach us that. And when then we pray, Father, that uh, you would draw uh, those that may be here without Christ to come to you and be saved today. And we thank you for the veterans. We thank you for their contribution. But we thank you most of all for the uh, life that was laid down for us, that we might have eternal life we ask a blessing on the reading of the word now in Jesus name amen and if you're able remain standing for our uh, welcome hymn as we sing uh, in just a moment three hundred and sixty two amen the Lord it just makes you love them more doesn't it so we thank the Lord for Sarah and what a blessing she is uh, uh, with our young people uh, christians uh and her working together uh, young people and what a uh what a great uh, truth that that is he's more wonderful all the time and uh, the more we get to know him the more we get to love him and so thank god for that thank you sarah uh take your bible back to john chapter 13 john chapter 13 my title of the message this morning is the hour has come pastor ryan will be preaching tonight i get the afternoon off i'm going to take a nap today so um, of course the deacon's probably going to meet and cut my salary because i didn't work this afternoon so that's okay the Lord takes care of us, and thank God for that. So, look forward to good uh, services tonight as well. I believe the choir is supposed to meet at three thirty though today. Uh, early practice there today, so he'll be he'll be earning his his uh, keep today. Uh, He won't get a nap. So uh, we're we're, uh, in John chapter 13 and the hour is come is the title of the message. I think I mentioned that. Um, Here we're at the point where all the disciples are gathered together in the upper room. It is the week of his last Passover, Jesus' last Passover on earth. they're gathered together um, actually a day earlier than the actual Passover this is going to be the 14th of Nisan which is a uh, the Jewish month the 14th of Nisan this is the time they're gathered it's the evening we'd call it Tuesday evening it's actually it's it's their Wednesday because the Jewish calendar starts 6 p.m. so it's after 6 p.m. on their what they call their Wednesday we call our Tuesday uh, and so uh, that's the that's the situation here the actual Passover Day, where the lamb was slain and the Passover was observed, would be the following morning, the following day. Uh, and it is, um, of course, uh, a great truth that our that the that the uh, one promise, the the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, was to be slain on the same day that over yonder they were slaying the the lambs, preparing for the Passover meal that the great Passover, the last needed Passover, was happening through uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that next day. So uh, uh, there is, um, that's the, you know, the reason why um, there's some confusion on, uh, you know, they call it Good Friday, the Catholics call it Good Friday. It's it's actually Wednesday that Jesus was crucified on, not Friday. Um, So you can call it Good Wednesday if you want, but uh, The uh, the sacrifice of our Savior on the on the cross was the badness of sin, but the goodness of our the love of our Savior. And and so, uh, uh, looking uh, adding it up, you got three days and three nights uh, in the uh, in the heart of the earth, as uh, predicted over and over and over again. It wasn't uh, uh, it couldn't have been more clearer uh, than that. The confusion comes with the reference to the Sabbath being the next day. But as John clears it up for us, he says, that day was an high Sabbath. So that was a day that uh, was an additional Sabbath to the normal weekly Sabbath. So an high Sabbath, those could happen other days of the week. The word Sabbath doesn't mean Saturday. It means um, a holy day, a day of rest, a a day set aside to honor and to worship the, the Lord. Uh, and so uh, or to rest and so that's the idea here the that was a Thursday that week the uh, 14th of Nissan uh, would be a Thursday that week Um, and so uh, uh, I mean excuse me a Wednesday that week and so uh, you have uh, you have that distinction if you want all the details one that does a real good job of it is John Phillips in his um, commentaries He lays it out between our calendar, our days, and and the Jewish day and and gives you all the uh, biblical references to that to show you how that that occurred. So so the resurrection of Christ uh, happened sometime after 6 o'clock on Saturday and before uh, sunrise Sunday morning. In fact, one of the references says it was a great while before day that they got there before the you know, morning light and the sun shone brightly there, it was a great while before that, they got there and they saw that the tomb was already empty. So uh, sometime in that night um, was, uh, was when it happened. Of course, in the Jewish, in the Jewish uh, calendar, in the Jewish day, in the, uh, in the biblical day, uh, Sunday, the first day of the week, began 6 p.m., what we would call Saturday night, 6 p.m. That's when Sunday, the first day of the week, began. So, uh, so Sunday, he did rise on the first day of the week. He did rise sometime after, but he fulfilled the full three days and three nights in the in the heart of the earth. And so, um, that uh, that's where we're at. We're at that. We're in that week at this time, and um, we're. Um, approaching that hour. And we saw that, um, and you see it there in the beginning, it said before the feast of the Passover. So it's the, the time before, the night before, the evening before the feast of the Passover, which was the next evening, uh, is where we're at here uh, on that. And uh, they're gathered together there, and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to teach his uh, disciples these last truths and these last m- most important truths as he prepares to depart from them and go to be with the Father to uh, to the presence of God, the Father in heaven. So here in verse 1 he says, first of all, he says, my hour is come. Now you remember we've been through John's, and how many times that uh, they've tried to kill him already. They've tried several times to kill him. They've wanted to kill him uh, ever since they determined that He had made the claim to be the Son of God, to be God. And they didn't make any mistake about it. They were clear what he was saying, more clear than the Jehovah's Witness, more clear than the Mormons, more clear than the cults. They were clear. They understood that Jesus was declaring himself to be God manifested in human flesh. They got that, you know. Uh, They said, we don't seek to kill you because of this or that or the other thing. Uh, we don't seek to kill you because you do good works. We don't seek to kill you because you do miracles. Uh, we seek to kill you because thou being a man, makest thyself God. So that's what they wanted to kill him for because they said he's a blasphemer. He's, make, he's calling himself God. They didn't have any question about it. I'm surprised that the cults today have a question about that. <laughs> he uh, made it clear and, and very succinct what he said. And uh, no one of his enemies or friends questioned it at all. They understood that he's God in human flesh. And so here we have it there that uh, they're trying to kill him. And we read it time and again, they're trying to kill him. They're trying to kill him. But the response that happens is that Jesus, you know, um, just walks away from them or he disappears into the crowd or uh, they're looking around and can't find him. And the explanation, the particulars aren't given to us in the scripture exactly how that occurred, but we do know that the uh, explanation was that his hour was not yet come. This hour now is come, the hour of uh, the greatest uh, trial and triumph the world has ever known, the hour that Jesus Christ, the time, the period of time that Jesus Christ uh, would set in motion those things which would provide for us our salvation. So we recall the, the attempts on him, and, and uh, the fact uh, that is pointed out by that is the fact that we're not in charge, I thank God for that. Men do not determine these things, men did not determine when the hour was come. Men did not decide when Jesus would die. Men did not decide how Jesus would die. All of that was ordained by God. All of that was set in motion before the world began. And so uh, I am glad that men don't determine these things, but God does. And I thank the Lord for uh, the fact that that is still true today in our culture and in our world. (laughs) We have those in high places who believe that man will destroy the planet in 12 years they've told you young people you got 12 years to live you know so uh and they've figured that out and that's uh, you know the Climate change and the ocean's going to rise, and we're going to all drown. And uh, and uh, you know Arizona's going to be a coastal uh, area and such like that. And uh, and that they don't. A lot of them don't really believe it themselves. Obama doesn't really believe it because he bought property about twenty feet from the ocean. You know, it's it's about two feet above sea level, so uh, he's not believing it. Uh, but uh, yeah, a lot of those in leadership are are uh, you know convincing us that man is going to destroy the world in twelve years unless. You give up your guns and give up your cars and, and uh, you take a bus and, uh, you know, you walk or you ride a horse. Uh, we're going to destroy the world in uh, 12 years. So, and they've got that figured out. Man's going to do it. Man's going to do it. Well, uh, I'm glad that man's not in charge of that. Uh, by the way, uh, it could be 12 minutes that we have left. It could be 12 seconds. It could be 12 days, 12 months, 12 years, 12 decades. God knows it. We don't. And so uh, it's in his hands and not in ours. Uh, so the leftists, uh, you know, are really mixed up about that. But in the leftist mindset, it is uh, there's no place for God uh, in the mindset of those that have elevated um, the, the human intellect and mankind to the place of a God. There's no place for the God of the Bible in the mind of those that have elevated the elements and the planet to the status of a god Um, so uh, that being the case of course confusion is going to reign supreme in in that culture so uh, jesus said his hour was come and it was come in a fulfillment of a purpose that was in place from eternity past and uh, now is that hour of his supreme suffering his supreme sacrifice it had begun already here, that time frame, what he calls an hour, you know, um, the way we use the term in a generic sense, an hour, a period of time. It's begun here, actually, because the scripture makes it clear that he's already troubled in spirit. Verse 21, look at it there, we didn't read it, but verse 21 of uh, John chapter uh, 13 When Jesus had just said he was troubled in spirit, he's speaking of the betrayal of Judas, and he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. So already the suffering and the turmoil in his spirit is taking place. Uh, As this hour is introduced here in this time frame. Now Judas is not a helpless pawn. He's not just, you know, unable to do anything different because God has ordained it this way and so on. Uh, That is not the case at all. Uh, We know that God was aware of how it would go down, how it would happen. But God is aware of those things because of what the Bible tells us about him, that he has foreknowledge. We only have after knowledge. We only see things after they happen and, and you know, put it together, and we call it history. And uh, we, we don't want people to rewrite history and change it like they're doing these days. Uh, we don't want them to do that because our knowledge comes from something that's already happened. But foreknowledge means God knows all about it before it happens and he knows how it all goes down before it occurs he knows that because he is outside of the boundaries that we are in in the boundary so he knows the end from the beginning and he knows all things we will not be able to get it don't try to get it because you won't be able to get it because we're finite in our ability to comprehend these things and god said you know as the sky we're we're his thinking his thoughts are high above our thoughts you know so um, we're we're trying to we're trying to think in areas that we're we have no capability or experience uh to uh, think in so when we get to those places what are we supposed to do we're supposed to trust what god said about it because he was there and he's been there and done that so uh supposed to trust what God said about it when you can't be there and prove it one way or the other, you know. Uh, We're supposed to trust what God said about it. I can't, I wasn't there for creation and I can't prove it one way or another empirically. I can't do experiments and prove to you that, you know, 6,000 some odd years ago, God created the earth. But I do have one that was there and saw it and participated in it and wrote it all down, so... I'm going to take his word for it, and not any secular scientist's point of view on it. Uh, we'll take his word for it. And that's what we have to uh, understand as uh, we have the audacity to suggest that we can figure everything out. No, we can't. We can't. And um, we come to the place where we place uh, what is called faith and trust in something that God has said is so even if we can't go into the laboratory and prove it is so, all right? And by the way, the empirical evidence for the facts of the scripture are really better than the empirical evidence presented for the idea of things that uh, scientists come up with so much, the idea of evolution. By the way, even the scientists are a little embarrassed to admit to you today that yeah, evolution don't work. <laughs> uh, sorry, we you know we messed it up. Uh, we uh, we didn't mean it. Uh, we got to go back to the drawing board. But we'll come up with something else that will give you a substitute for God. Just give us time, and we will do that. But even the the few um, you know the the, the uh, there's a growing number of of uh, of honest uh, scientists are coming to recognize the complete fallacy of darwinian evolution and so that's that's encouraging you know that uh, there are some in that field of endeavor who uh, are willing at least to say hey you know yeah this is all wrong we got to go back to the drawing board well you know you can but it'd be easier to just go back to the to the author you know uh, of uh, uh, of creation and talk to him about it you get it it'd get all straight uh, and all of a sudden science would advance um, you know, it it, it would advance uh, um, in, um, in in a much more rapid fashion, uh, exponentially, if scientists would start with this and work out from there. You know, work out from there. Some of the greatest scientists that we've ever known were Bible believing Christians. You know, and so uh, uh, thank God for that. And we uh, we have. Uh, uh, we have Judas here, and we're looking at him, and some people say, "Well, yeah, but he had to do that, and God just you know worked it out and no he's he's not uh he's not propelled uh by some you know external force it's him that's making the decision he's not helpless he's prompted and we read about that the devil uh, uh you know the devil suggested something to him we see it uh, early on, what was it how to say it there um um, in verse uh, 2, supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon, son of Adraeim. The devil put it in his heart, but the devil does that in, in any case. The devil brings thoughts to anyone's mind that are contrary to what God says, and uh, that was the case here. It prompted him to, it, uh, to do it, but he knew something of, uh, of uh, Judas already. He knew that he was already resisting Jesus Christ. He was with him, And he was a great uh, hypocrite. He was one that had everybody fooled except Jesus Christ, had all the other disciples fooled. None of them even suspected him. Even after the sop was given to him, none none of them still suspected him. They couldn't believe it would be Judas. Could not um, imagine that. But his resistance to Jesus was based on his thwarted ambitions. His desire for Jesus was to have him come as his great political leader and by his power restore uh, Jerusalem, restore Judah, restore Israel to her former prominence and, and overthrow the Romans. And that was Judah's uh, take on it. And if he could get in and ground floor and be part of that, he wanted to be in on that. His, his uh, resistance to Jesus, his thwarted ambitions, missions and his complete surrender to greed he became because he ex- ex- exemplified in the eyes of the other disciples he exemplified um, the characteristics that you would want in a treasurer you know uh where's callie callie's not here today she's probably running off with the church money she's our treasurer um <laughs> but uh see her husband's here to account for her uh but uh, we, we would look for somebody who had characteristics that we'd say, okay, the congregation, you know, would be able to be confident that this person is, is competent and careful about the Lord's money and uh, would be able to keep accountability for it and so forth like that. We'd look for someone like that. Uh, and obviously, that, you know, they're not going to choose Judas because he's the least likely to be a good treasurer. Uh, They're going to choose him uh, because they believe they can trust him. No one ever suspected him of anything. No one ever suspected him of putting his hand in the bag and helping himself to it. But he did that regularly. Uh, He covered it up well. He was an embezzler and a habitual embezzler. And he had that which is the bag. He was a thief, John said. Here's 50 years later, John's writing about him. And he said, because he was a thief and he had that which was put in the bag. So, John still hadn't got over the fact that Judas was a, was a, a fake, you know, a, a, when he writes this account some 50 years after the, the events themselves. And uh, so here's Judas in all of those areas. He was, he was disenchanted with Jesus' disavowal of political power. And, and uh, his heart was not open to Christ at all, but it was open to the promptings of the devil And when the prompting came, he readily responded. And soon enough, Satan had him entirely wrapped around his little finger. Look at verse 27 of uh, chapter 13. Verse 27 And after the sop, Satan entered into him, into Judas. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Get it over with, Judas, get it done. Go out there and do your dirty deed. And get it done. And so uh, here's Judas. Uh, to the last, though, I want you to notice something about the love of Christ. To the very last, to the very last, our Lord is giving Judas the opportunity to repent. He didn't expose him there. He didn't say, Judas is your man. He didn't say, get out, you devil. He didn't say anything like that. He gave him opportunity to repent and today this morning right now right here if you are in that place that Judas is you've been resistant to the Lord Jesus Christ and and, uh, and you've been uh, caught up in greed or self-will or whatever else it might be I want you to know that Jesus is treating you the same way he did Judas he's waiting for you to take the opportunity while the door is open and I hope that today you will if you haven't uh, God knows your heart and, and you know um, you don't. You and I don't even know our hearts as well as we should but nobody else knows your heart better than you other than God and so uh, if that be the case if the Holy Spirit of God once more is knocking on your door is drawing you to him is working in your heart uh, don't be like Judas and just say oh God will give you another chance God will give me another chance God will give you another chance and then finally go out and the devil fills him you know oh God help us to respond before that be the case. But that was the way it was with Judas. God gave him these up. By the way, the dipping of the sop and handing it was a was a demonstration of honor. The head of the table to dip sop and give it to a, another at the table was a an indication of honor. It was a you, you were honored if if the one that provided the feast. Uh, put himself in the position of a servant to serve you the food, to serve you that which was dipped in the dip uh, there and, and to provide it for you. you know, uh, It was an honor, and that was given to Judas. Only John knew what Jesus had said uh, quietly to him as he leaned upon his breast. Only, only John knew that Jesus said, he, uh, John said, well, which one is it? Peter said, ask him who it is, ask him who it is. And John was right next to him there, so he leaned over on his breast, and he said, Who is it, Lord? And, and he it is to whom I give the sop, and he dipped the sop, and he gave it to Judas. And, and even then, the, the disciples, and there was, God, had to be some murmuring going on. John had to say, What? What? Judas? And Peter said, What are you saying? And the others are looking at it. But, and Jesus says, You know what I'll do is do quickly. And so they're thinking, Well, maybe, maybe I misunderstood it. Maybe I misunderstood because what it records is that they thought Judas must be going out to give something to the poor or to buy something uh, for preparation for the Passover the next day or something. So they thought, they just thought, no, it can't be, it can't be, Uh, I think even John and Peter thought, it can't be, it can't be that we must. We must have, like we've done often, we must have misunderstood Jesus again on this one. And so out uh, out he went. But I want to tell you, can you imagine that giving this, and by the way, you think of it, if Jesus uh, was around the table there, and it was in the Eastern culture, in an upper room like that, in a feast like that, they would have, it's pretty neat, they'd have uh, like, You'd think of psychiatrist couches, how they, you know, have that upper part and that flat part, you know, that you lay on. And you tell them all your problems, by the way, don't go to the psychiatrist, go to Jesus. Um, But if you've uh, you've ever, you've seen them on TV, you know, the psychiatrist couches. I know you you haven't been in the office uh, there yet. uh, And so, uh, but they would have couches kind of like that around a round table. And in the center of the table was kind of cut out where the servants could come and put the food around in a circle like that. And the persons that were eating could just, you know lean over get something to eat and and relax and wouldn't it be a relaxing way to eat a meal is just you know get something and eat it and then lay down there and talk for a while you know uh have your nap while you're doing that and so and so that's and they went on the meal went on for you didn't come grab you know grab something and gulp it down and then leave it was it was a formal affair it was something that took some time and so to, to for jesus to be able where he was to dip the sop and hand it to judas indicates that judas was right there on the other side there's John on the one side and Judas on the other side Can you imagine that that the lord jesus christ gave Judas that place of honor why because he still wants him to repent. He still wants him to come. He still wants him to change. He wants one last opportunity for Judas to be able to be saved. So what a, a mark of the love of Christ for such a one as this. Later on, as, he's, as he dons the garments of a servant and he goes around and washes the feet of each of these disciples, he comes to Judas. What was Judas thinking? when the Lord Jesus Christ gets down on his knees like a servant and washes the feet of this one who he knew, who he had expressed would betray him. And and in his heart, in his mind, he knows, Jesus knows. and he And he looks him in the eye or can't look him in the eye as he's washing his feet. And the Lord Jesus is just thinking, one more time, I want to... Uh, extend the opportunity to you one more chance. He's washing the traitor's feet. What an example of the love of Christ, the humility of Christ, the condescension of our Savior. But it's Judas' choice. In verse 18, it makes it clear, verse 18 of uh, uh, of the chapter we're in. Uh, he said, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me and he's indicating of course Judas there lifted up his heel against me that uh, phrase is a common uh, expression or that action is a common expression uh, in the eastern uh, world then of uh, of just uh, distaste or uh, disgust it was a contempt you know it was to have contempt for someone was to lift your heel up against them and the idea was like to, ki- to kick like a mule, or to kick like a horse, or to kick like an ox. You know, that was the idea of lifting up the heel against someone, uh, you know, in just being in rebellion against uh, what that one wanted and lifting up your heel and kicking at them. Uh, remember, Paul, uh, what, what Jesus first said to Paul is it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, isn't it? He's lifting up his heel, he's kicking, he's kicking back, and like, like the uh, horse does uh you know when it doesn't want to do what you want it to do and uh and so um, and the horse is not something you kick back without getting in trouble so uh but that was that was that was the expression here uh there's a warning though from scripture here isn't that isn't there and that's this that uh that just because uh, we professed christ as judas did uh, just because there's a profession of Christ doesn't mean there's a possession of Jesus Christ, you know. His feet were indeed washed, but his heart was not washed, was it? And it is important for your feet to be washed. It is important for you to be washed externally. It's important for you and me to be clean externally and for uh, us to, to uh, have that, that kind of cleansing. But uh, far more important is that, than that is, the, is uh, clean in the heart. You know, like Jesus referred to, uh, you're every whit clean, he said, but not all. You're clean. The ones of you that have come and trusted and received Christ, you're clean. You're clean within. Uh, and, and that's the case. You know, I, I want to ask you and, and I want to uh, appeal to you, are you clean on the inside? 1 Corinthians 6 9 says it this way. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God but he says this of the Corinthian people he of the church there at Corinth the brethren there he says and such were some of you you guys were a lot of you that way a lot of you were doing those very things he said But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so that's the question. Have you been washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our Lord God? Have you been born again and if not, run to Jesus today? Uh, We see then our Lord's word for us in that hour. We see our Lord's word for us. And it's an assurance of his unfading love. He says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the last. Oh, thank God for that assurance of an undying love in our Lord Jesus Christ. It was there for Judas, but he would not, would not, would not receive. It was there for all. Oh, it is there for you. It's an undying, unfading, and an unmatched love. Oh, our hymn book is full of songs that, that express the love of God to people. And to us, to His children, and to the world, uh, our hymnbook's filled with those. We 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 sing them every week. Uh, every week we sing the hymns of praise to Him about His love, His mercy, His grace, His love, undying, unmatched love. But there aren't enough words in the language to express it, are there? We fall hopelessly short of fully expressing what the love of God really is, and so. Um, we have this undying, unmatched love expressed here, as he says in verse 1. He said, having love his own, he loved them to the end. Now, he won't love you now and not love you later, you know. He won't love you today and not love you tomorrow. Oh, it's a heartbreaking thing when a husband comes into the house and announces to his wife, I don't love you anymore, I'm leaving. Oh, it's a crushing and a heartbreaking thing. It's a crushing and a heartbreaking thing when a wife walks into the home and says to the husband, I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving. It's a terrible thing when a father or mother gets so caught up in their own self-wills that they come to the place where they say to their own children, I don't love you anymore. Uh, I, I want you gone. I don't want you around anymore. Huh. It seems impossible And it seems unthinkable, but it is so of the human heart, isn't it? And we think, uh, well, that's somebody else. But all of us are capable of that kind of selfish expression, aren't we? But thank God the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is incapable of that. He uh, will never say, well, I've changed my mind. I don't love you anymore anymore. Go your own way. I thank God for that matchless, unfading, unbounded love. So it's a word of his unfading love. But the word of Christ in that last hour for us is also a word of surrender and humility and service. As he points it out, as we look down, we read verse 4 down through verse 15, and how that he pointed out uh, he, he became the one that uh, took the place of the servant, you know, There was no, obviously no slave or no servant to the house there and none of them had had their feet cleansed from walking through the dusty streets of Jerusalem to that place and they still bore the marks of the city streets on their feet as they entered in and and the grit between the toes of the sandals and so forth was still there uh, as they prepared and and, uh, got uh, ready for the meal. It was still there. And here the Lord Jesus Christ puts off his outer garment and uh, takes up a, a, a towel, uh, wraps it around his loins and ties it in a knot and uses that uh, towel as uh, he takes a basin of water and takes a part of that towel and washes their feet and another section of the towel and dries their feet with it and, and goes through all of them. They're all embarrassed. They're all embarrassed. They're all thinking, oh, he shouldn't be doing this. He's the Lord. He's God. He shouldn't be doing this. And and they're also saying, I should have done that. I should have done that. Normally, in a circumstance like that, you'd have the person that was least, uh, you know, that was I would say lower on the totem pole, if you will, uh, that was the least esteemed among them, he would be the one that would assume that position if there wasn't a servant to assume it. But none of them thought, I mean, they were all arguing just a little bit earlier about who would be greatest in the kingdom of God. Would it be me or would it be you? And they're arguing with each other about who'd be greatest, and they're envious of each other, and they're mad about it and all that. So they're not really thinking about, man, I'm going to be the one to wash these dirty feet of these guys. I'm not going to do that. So I'm no servant. I'm no slave. You know, I'm, uh, I'm not there. So... It was Peter finally got around to Peter, and he was one that finally spoke up. Lord, you can't do this. You should be doing this. And he said, You don't, Jesus said, You don't understand it now, but you're going to. You're going to get it later. You're going to get it. And Peter said, Oh, I get it, Lord. I get it. I, I need cleansing. But, but Lord, cleanse my hands. They've, they've done things I shouldn't have cleansed my head. I've thought things I shouldn't have. Lord, cleanse, cleanse me everywhere. Cleanse me everywhere. And, and Peter uh, had to be reminded by the Lord Hey, look, uh, Peter, you're, you're clean. I'm washing your feet to uh, signify a very specific thing, and, and you're messing up the illustration, so just shut up, you know. So, uh, so Peter shuts up, and, you know, and, and Jesus washes their feet, and he says, I want you guys to get this. He said, I've done this an example to you. I've done this example to you. I want you to know that you guys say, I'm your Lord, and I'm your master, and you say that, well, for so I am. I'm your Lord, and I'm your master. And he said, he said look, the servant is never above the master, is he? No, sir, no, sir. Uh, well, here I've taken the position of the servant and I've shown you something. You need to recognize that that's what you should be doing. You should be looking for the lower place, not always arguing over who gets the highest place. Looking for the lower seat in the assembly, not always looking for, you know, who gets the best spot. Looking for the recognition of Jesus Christ and the honor and glory of Jesus, of God, of Christ, and glorifying God, rather than trying to figure out ways you can get people's attention on yourself. And uh, so he's... He's going, he's going to give them an example, you know. We're not going to start an ordinance of foot washing here. Uh, I, do not, uh, I do not want to even see your feet, and I don't want you to see mine. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, in fact, it, it, it didn't exist in any churches until about the 4th century. Some started as a practice and so forth like that, and some still practice that t- today. But uh, Jesus isn't saying, I want you to literally be washing each other's feet. He said, I want you to take the example that I've given you as an example of humbling yourself and being willing to do those menial things, and being willing to take the part of the servant, not concerned about whether it glorifies you or makes you look good or not. So that's the lesson that he's giving them there, and they're they're getting that. He gave that example to all of us, this voluntary humility, this renouncing of pride and self-centered ambition and deliverance from those childish notions that others ought to serve us. I was working out in the yard yesterday and the grandkids were the, the boys uh, who lived there on the property with us there uh, were outside too and uh, there were some gopher holes and I got the boys to get the hose and I put, showed them and got down in the gopher hole we're going to drown out these these uh, moles you know and get them out of there so they got excited about doing that and uh, pretty soon uh, um, Hudson lost interest and got over on the swing over here over here in the field is uh, still Hershey there he's He's, uh, you know, working there, and he's got the hose in the, in the thing there. He decides, I need to take it out and put it in another one. The water's blasting full blast away, you know. And so he says, he looks over at Hudson and says, Hudson, go turn off the water. And this is Hershey, the younger brother, speak, and he always speaks to the older brother this way. Hudson, go turn off the water. And Hudson just keeps on swinging and pays no attention to him, you know. Hudson, go turn off the water. And I, so by that time I said, Hershey, you... You don't tell your older brother what to do. You're not the boss of him. He's the boss of you. And uh, he got sort of depressed about that, you know. And he goes under his breath. He goes, "Mom and Dad's the boss of both of us." So, so so he was depressed, and so he just he pulled the hose out, and it went all over him. You know, got him all soaked wet, and he started all mad and upset. And you know what he said? He said, "Hudson, you got me all wet." That's what he said. I said, Hudson, was over in the swing? He wasn't even near you. Yeah, but I told him to go turn the water off, and he didn't. He got me all wet. And that's the way we are, you know. We just think others ought to be serving. We shouldn't have to be serving. They ought to be doing what we tell them. We don't have to do what they tell us. We get to tell them what to do. And So that childish attitude that we are often guilty of is exactly what Jesus was addressing there when he said... uh, take the towel girded about thyself and uh, be that one that is the willing servant rather than the one who demands to be served so there it is it's it's a word of service it's a word of the washing that we need every day over and over isn't it Uh, the washing of the feet uh, indicates that you know just getting the grime of the streets off your, off where you touch you come in contact with the world and you need the the, you need the grime of the world washed off you every day, don't you? We need to have that cleansing every day. We need, need to have that restoration of, of a clean uh, walk with the Lord every day. We just need it sometimes several times a day. We got to get in and get the basin of God's word to wash. By the washing of the water of the word, he says, that's the way uh, our uh, our lives are cleaned up, uh, you know, from the day-to-day grime that just gets on us from being in the world. So, so he says it. This way in the in the 17th verse, he said, look, guys, look, men, look, uh, uh, apostles, disciples, look, brethren, brethren. He says, if you know these things, okay, Lord, we know them, we, we get it, what you said. So he says, if you know these things, you're going to be happy if you do these things. You won't be happy just knowing about them. You got to put to practice. And he's talking about, you know, fulfilling life, happy life of a happy Christian is just knowing what he told us to do, and doing that is the, is the part that brings the joy. And so let's do that. Let's stand together give an invitation. If you uh, need to respond today, you come. And uh, Christian, if you need to come and pray, Lord, help me to, to be, to be uh, willing to put on the, the garment of a servant and be, have a servant's heart. Uh, Lord, help us to do that. And then if you're here and you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior yet, come on, let's... Let's uh, uh, let's introduce you to him. There's a prompting going on by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit in your heart if you haven't been saved yet. And that Holy Spirit is drawing you to Christ. There's also the work of the devil going on too. And he wants to do what uh, is the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so, oh yeah, there's a prompting going there too that says, don't do it, don't go. Um, there's a prompting there as well. So don't don't let that be the one you, you heed. Let's bow our heads together and have a word of prayer. you hear today and you say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I don't know for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure that I'm a child of God. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand up and let me pray for you? If that's you today, lift a hand up and let me pray. Just between you and me and the Lord, anyone like that today? Uh, Lord, uh, help me. I don't know for sure. All right? You know for sure. Are you, you and I... Uh, keeping our servants rap about us, or are we uh, are we have we kind of laid that aside? Father, we ask you to bless the invitation. Pray that if uh, people need to come today and use the altar, or if folks need to come and join the church, or folks need to come and surrender for believers' baptism, or get ready for that, Lord. Uh, whatever the need is, uh, you guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Five hundred forty-two, and Lord, I'm coming home. As we sing, you slip out and come as the Lord uh, leads.